0: Well, good morning, and we are glad that you have joined us for worship today. If you um, if you have your bulletins, uh, you'll notice that the fall is nearly upon us, and activities and events are starting to pick up, and uh, life is starting to get a little bit busier as we swing back into the school routine here. I know our, uh, our teens and children are just... Uber excited about school beginning next week. Um, just be grateful that I, I we were on Facebook and I saw that my niece out in California has already been back at school for like two weeks. So it could be worse, right? I mean, it's there's always somebody who's got it worse. Um, I hope by now that you have the tailgate party on your calendar. If don't if you don't, make sure you you get that on there today. The uh, Sunday, the September the 13th, we'll be meeting outdoors again this year. Uh, we're praying for good weather. And uh, last year was just a, a great time. Uh, lots of fun music, um, great worship, games. And uh, we're excited to have uh, Gunnar Hansen here this year, my uh, friend from uh, San Diego area. He's a former Navy SEAL, and you'll just be blessed by his ministry as, as he shares with you. So make sure that you get the word out. Please invite anybody and everybody. And then also I want to I want to point out as well if you are interested in leading a small group this fall please contact the office this week we've got some uh, some curriculum and studies available for you to choose from so whether you want to do a study that will go along with our, our marriage and family series this fall um, or whether you want to want to try something else that's kind of a standalone supplemental study uh, we've got some things for you so if you're interested in leading or have any questions about that please call us at the office and uh, for those of you who are interested in jumping into a small group we'll be starting those the week of the twentieth of September twentieth, and we'll have more information about how to join and how to sign up here coming in the weeks to follow. Um, before we get into God's Word this morning, and we're going to be studying uh, Esther. If you want to find your place there, uh, I want to take a few minutes. And uh, for those of you who haven't had the chance to meet Mitch and Leah Moyer, I want to ask if they would come forward. Um, Mitch is going to be starting here in about a week as our new youth pastor, as Steve transitions into working with the kids and uh, what we wanted to do is just kind of get a chance for you to see them and uh, I've asked Mitch if he would just kind of say a few words and then after he has a chance to chat for a minute um, we're going to invite I asked the staff and elders if they would be willing to come up and and I just want to open it up to anybody who wants to come on up and join us as we pray for Mitch and Leah as they begin um, their ministry and as as they begin a family and uh, and so um, Mitch would you like to just say a thing or two
1: yeah absolutely yeah we are really excited uh to be here it's uh, it's been it's been awesome uh, to, to be able to come up here I grew up in Michigan so this is this is like a homecoming for me I grew up about two hours south of here uh, so we're really excited to be back in Michigan my wife is originally from South Carolina uh, and so she's uh, excited to uh, bring some of that southern accent up here and teach you guys what sweet tea is so <laughs> some of y'all don't know but yeah we're really excited to be here it's been it's been awesome just to see God moving through uh, the whole process here, and, and just every conversation Jeremiah and I have had, it's just been really cool just to see how God's worked everything out, uh, just from interview times all the way to to moving dates and how that all lined up with what we needed, uh, moving from North Carolina. So it's uh, it's exciting. We're really excited about what's what's going on. Uh, Steve has, has built a fantastic student ministry, and, and that is a, a truly a blessing for us to be able to step into that, uh, to not have to. Uh, fix a whole lot of problems, but man, we get to keep moving with something that's really working well, so we're excited about that, and uh, we're just excited to be here in Clare.
0: Great, awesome. Now, one of the things I asked him right off the bat is if he was a Tigers fan, and he said he was, but I, I didn't ask, are you a, a state or U of M? Fan? I'm a
1: Wolverine. I'm a Wolverine, so, all right, all right.
0: The vetting process should have been <laughs> a little tighter, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I- should have asked that early on. <laughs> um, let's, uh, let's just take a minute and pray for them. So uh, I'd, I'd like to ask if, you, if you'd like to just kind of come on up here and join us on stage as we kind of just want to surround Mitch and Leah as we start. I just want to open that up to anybody who wants to. Um, but uh, staff and, and uh, elders, um, I'd like you to you come join us up here. And uh, we want to start this opportunity off with a word of prayer. And, and as you can tell, Leah here is due very soon. October 28th, is that right? Yes. So, uh, have you found a doctor yet? Yeah, I'm working on it. Working on it. So, that's one of the things we're going to pray for, not only, of course, for a safe delivery, but just, um, just that she kind of gets settled in and finds a, finds a doctor. So, we're just going to take a minute as we have the opportunities to, to surround them and uh, just hold them up before, uh, before God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, We are so grateful to have the opportunity to have Mitch and Leah come and and serve with us here at at the church. Father, everything that we do here, we want to do for your glory and for the sake of your name, that your kingdom might be furthered, that Jesus Christ might be honored and glorified. And we pray that this will, will only seek to further the ministry of the gospel here in Clare County. We pray for opportunities uh, for him to be able to reach out and, and, and build relationships with teens who may not have a church home, who may be struggling in some aspect of their life and, and need to hear about Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would bless their family as they get settled in. I pray that the transition process would be smooth. And uh, we ask that uh, this little baby would be born healthy and strong, that everything would go smoothly with the delivery, that you would keep Leah comfortable in these final weeks of her pregnancy, that they would find a, a good doctor and, and be able to uh, just get transitioned in really smoothly. God, we're thankful for them. I pray that you would provide all the spiritual strength that they need to, to serve faithfully. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> oh, man. I had to say it. They'll, um, they'll be moving into, uh, in here in Clare on uh, next Saturday, and so I'll be talking to them about uh, when exactly they need some help, but we might put out the feelers on Facebook or wherever and try to get the word out if you have some time on Saturday and uh, borrow a few strong backs for a few hours and help them as they get settled in. They'll be living right in Clare. Uh, we'll make sure we, um, we put the address in the bulletin so teens, you can egg the place to welcome welcome them. If you've uh, found the book of Esther in your Bible, we are going to continue our series as we talk about heroes of the faith. Last week we talked about Elijah, and this week we are going to talk uh, about a woman who lived some years after Elijah ministered and served, a woman by the name of Esther. In this book of the Bible, it's ten chapters long, and it's an impressive story. As we see God, even at work, as his people are exiled in the, in the land of Babylon. If you remember correctly, they were taken captive by the Babylonians. And about, uh, about 60 years into that captivity, the Babylonians were taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And so here we come to the story, and it takes place around um, five, uh, 479 B.C., um, if you are interested in syncing these events with another portion of Scripture, uh, the, the the time period between uh, Ezra chapter 6 and 7 is where these events take place. And the title of our message today is God Saves His People. God Saves His People. I think all of us, no matter where the what realm the story comes from, are impressed by stories of sacrifice. Sacrifice speaks volumes to us. Maybe it's just something as simple as the husband who gets up at night with the whiny baby to uh, help his wife get a few hours of sleep, or that Sunday school teacher who at at a moment's notice is willing to sub for someone who is homesick. But maybe it's the bigger things in life. I still remember is uh, a teenager my mom um, my mom was a good saver we didn 't have a lot of money, but she would save and prepare for special events for birthdays for vacations and uh, having four boys in the home, um, there had been significant damage done to the over the years to the carpet in the house, and it was worn and beat up and so she had started a fund so that she could replace her well-worn carpet. And I'll never forget, as I was about 16 years old, I had the opportunity to go on a missions trip to Africa and experience what God was doing over there. And I really felt like God had laid upon my heart this opportunity, and I was excited. I'd, I'd never been... Never been further than uh, from the house than like Wisconsin, and and all of a sudden uh, this, was, this was kind of a, a terrifying prospect. But I, it was one I felt the Lord wanted me to do, and is uh, I was raising support and going around and trying to speak at churches and sending out letters to raise money for this trip. Uh, the funds just hadn't fully come in, so the the date the due date for the final payment was coming close, and I remember my mom coming to me one day and saying you know what, we're going to take care of the rest of this. And I, I knew that my parents didn't have a lot. And I, I asked my mom, I said, Mom, it's really nice, but what, what, how are you going to do that? And she said, the carpet can wait. I want you to be able to go on the trip. And it wasn't until about 15 years later she finally was able to replace that carpet. But that sacrifice that my mom made, maybe it's, it, it sounds simple, but that sacrifice stuck with me. And over the years... I saw my parents do things like that for their children. And if you're a parent, you you know what that sacrifice is like. We're always amazed and impressed, though, when someone goes the extra mile and is willing to to risk their life. Maybe you hear a story from the front lines of a war, of of a man who's willing to rush into enemy fire and grab a, a fallen soldier to pull him back behind the lines. The story of Esther is a situation where we're going to find her willingness to risk her life for her people. And that willingness points us to the one who gave up his life so that we might live. I want to kind of summarize the story. As I was studying this week, I was excited to be able to share Esther with you, but I thought... How am I going to summarize this story? It's not like Elijah where you could just take one snippet out of his life like we did last week. But with Esther, you kind of have to show the whole picture of what's going on. And so we're going to try to do that here in a few moments this morning. uh, this, This is a time in Persia where a man by the name of King Ahasuerus is reigning. He's also referred to elsewhere as King Xerxes. And... As you know, the, the Jews are in exile. At this point in history, a decree had gone out a number of years before that Jews could return back. And that's where you find the story of Nehemiah and the, the temple being rebuilt and Ezra and, and, and those events taking place. Some of them went home, but some of them stayed in the foreign land. And, are, and we find that's the case here in the capital city of Susa. Well this king decided that he wanted to one day throw a 6 month party for himself. Apparently that was that was socially acceptable. You know, it was, today in our culture it's kind of it seemed kind of self-serving. You know, nobody really throws parties for them, themselves. You know, birthday parties are supposed to be thrown by somebody else or, or uh, you know, uh, open houses and stuff. But this guy didn't have a problem with that. He said, I'm going to throw a party for myself. And uh, it's not just going to be a one-night thing. It's going to be a six-month-long feast and festival. And so during the course of the party, one night, uh, the king was drunk and uh, the, the, the partying had gone late into the night. And he wanted his queen to come out and dance for the, the rest of the, the crowd there. And so he summoned her, and, and she refused. The, the Bible doesn't say why, uh, but probably she just didn't appreciate having to dance for a bunch of drunk people. And so she said no. And the king said, okay, you're not my queen anymore. And so he he banished her, and... Decided that he needed to search for another another queen. And so he sends out his men to search the land for all the beautiful young virgins. We're told in uh, chapter um, at the end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two. And this is where we meet a young woman by the name of Esther and her uncle Mordecai. Esther was an orphan. We don't know the backstory. It doesn't tell us what happened to her parents. We just know that she is living with her uncle, and she had no parents living. And so she is one of the beautiful young virgins that is picked to be a part of the the king's harem and to be a part of the selection process. Now, ladies, lest you're sitting out there thinking like this is a Disney movie, and this is some amazing honor to be chosen. Now, just imagine this. You're minding your own business. Maybe you have your eyes on on some guy in school, and and you've been passing him notes in class and and flirting with him a little bit. And all of a sudden, you are picked to be taken away to the palace. Just so you know, your your life is done with. You're going to spend the rest of your life in that palace, whether the king chooses you as your queen or not. All of a sudden, it's not quite so romantic. And you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get to spend at least one night with the king while he, I, I mean, the, the passage kind of glosses over it and, and doesn't fill you in on the details, but basically uh, you get to visit the king once and if, and if you make the, the grade, then you could possibly get selected as king. Otherwise, you get to spend the rest of your life in, in, in his harem, possibly never to see the king again. And so I can imagine that Esther was not especially excited to be taken away from her uncle. As you probably know if you're familiar with the story, the king chose Esther to be his queen. You find that in verse 17 of chapter 2. It says, The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And so... It sounds like, maybe for Esther, this was going to be a happily ever after story. But if you know what happens, you know that there's a villain in this story. There's something going on behind the scenes. So this is where in the story you would find the word, Meanwhile, the king promoted a man by the name of Haman. He was an Agagite, and he was going to be the king's prime minister. And that takes place in chapter 3. And the king decreed that everyone was supposed to bow to his prime minister as he made his rounds throughout the city. Well, there was one man who would not bow down to him, and you guessed it, that was Esther's uncle Mordecai. He would sit outside the gate, one of the first people that, that, Mordecai, or that, uh, that Haman would see, and he would just stare there, stand there and stare at him. Would not bow, would not show him homage and reverence. And it just made Haman's blood boil. He pouted, in fact. He found out that Mordecai was a Jew. And so rather than just like deal with it, he decides, or rather than just deal with Mordecai, he said, I'm going to wipe out all of Mordecai's people. I mean, a little bit vindictive. Probably not an easy guy to live with. And so he gets the king to pass a law that on a certain day all the people in the land can take up arms and wipe out the Jews. The Bible says that that, uh, in order to get the king to pass that, he made a significant contribution to the king's campaign fund. And so the king signed that into law. And all of a sudden, kind of the secret quiet edict takes place and the Jewish people, God's chosen people, are in danger of being wiped off the face of the earth. Well, Mordecai discovers the evil plot, and he informs Esther. And in chapter 4, and we're going to come back and kind of hone in on chapter 4, but in chapter 4, he convinces her that she needs to do something about it. And so to make a long story short, she holds a banquet for the king and for Haman. She tells the king she's got something she wants to tell him and, and the banquet is so uh, lavish and, and the king is just so over, head, over his, head over heels in love with his, with his wife that, that he says, I'll do anything for you. You can have it. Just tell me up to half of my kingdom and it's yours. And she says, you know what? I'm gonna, what I want to do is have another banquet for you tomorrow. I'll tell you tomorrow what I wish for. And so they part ways and, and, and Haman is excited Oh man, not only does the king love me, but the wife, the queen honors me as well. My life is good. And he walks outside and he sees Mordecai again. Ugh. It doesn't matter that he's got everything else going for him. He sees Mordecai and he just, his blood boils. And he goes home and he's sulking and his, he's talking to his wife. He says, I've got everything, but none of it, none of it means anything to me so long as Mordecai the Jew's alive. And his wife's like, Quit sulking and do something about it. You don't have to wait till the date of the slaughter. Why don't you hang Mordecai tomorrow? Deal with him. Get him out of the way. And then you can deal with the rest of the Jews. And so that very night, Haman decides to have some gallows built. And so he's outside the palace night working on these. Meanwhile, inside the palace, the king is having trouble sleeping. Maybe it has something to do with all the pounding and banging going on outside, but, but it's told that in order to help him fall asleep, he wants the royal records to be brought out. I mean, this is like, I don't know, Maybe, maybe I'm trying to, if I pick any kind of documentary, there's always going to be somebody that's going to be like, but I'd love that. I would be thrilled with that. But it's like, it's like, think about the most boring documentary that you've ever seen and trying to stay awake at that in the middle of the night. So the, the king has the royal records brought out, figuring that's, that's the perfect lullaby to put him to sleep. And as they begin reading, he hears a story in there that he'd completely forgotten about. There was a time when Mordecai, the same guy that Haman is outside building the gallows for, there was a time when Mordecai revealed a plot to assassinate the king. And he had told Esther, and Esther told the king, and, and, and they, they were able to intervene, and they saved the king's life. And so the king, all of a sudden, is kind of jolted from his, his state of half-sleepiness, and, and he says, what, would, what did we ever do for Mordecai for saving my life? And they said, it doesn't look like he did anything. He's like, how could I let that go? So he said, who's out there making that racket? And, and so they go outside, and it's Haman. He calls Haman in. And the king says, Haman, what should I do for the, the person that I delight to honor? And Haman thinks, well, who else is he talking about but me? I mean, who would he want to honor more than Haman. So he says, this is what I think you should do. And he comes up with this plan. You should put your royal robes on him and a crown on his head. You lead him through the streets and make a big proclamation. This is what the king does for the people. He delights in honoring. And the king's like, great idea. You know that guy Mordecai that sits out there? I want you to do that for him. You lead the horse around. <laughs> He cannot believe it. He was just tasting victory. In a few hours, he was going to be hanging Mordecai from those gallows outside. And now, instead of that, he's going to be leading him around, proclaiming Mordecai's uh, greatness for saving the king. And he just goes home and pouts even more and sulks. But after that embarrassing thing is done, he's, he's reminded that at least I get another banquet. So after that humiliating experience of taking Mordecai around, he gets to go back and spend uh, another lavish meal with the king and Esther. And he thinks, all right, that ugly, ugly event's behind me. When we're done with dinner, then maybe I can go hang that man Mordecai. Unfortunately, his plans went awry. And it was at that banquet where the king says, Finally, Esther, tell me, what can I give you? What can I do for you? I love you so much, honey. I'll give you anything you want. And she said, Well, I just want you to know that this man, Haman, has deceived you. And he he got you to believe that executing the Jews is a good thing. But the, the only problem with that is your wife is a Jew. And all of a sudden, it dawned on him what Haman had been trying to do. And had tricked him into doing. And so the king rushes out to go get some guards to haul Haman away. And Haman grabs a hold of Esther and begins pleading with her not to, uh, not to do this. And, and to spare his life. And the king comes back and he sees Haman with Esther in his arms. And, and he's even further enraged that he would lay his hands on the queen. And those, those gallows that Haman built For God's people found Haman swinging from them in just a few moments. Well, it seems like this is the climax of the story, the great joyful ending. And Esther pleads with the king. She said, well, what are we going to do now? And the king says, listen, it's the law of the land. I signed it in the law. I I can't take it back. I can't tear it up. It's a law that on this day, people are going to come against your people, and so he said. But I have a plan. I'm going to arm them. I'm going to give them permission to fight back. I'm going to let the let the whole nation know that he's not just they're not just going and ransacking and destroying villages with people laying in bed. These are going to be people who have arms who are ready to ready to fight back. And so if you read the, the final three chapters of the book, chapters 8 through 10, we see that that's exactly what happened. The Jews take up arms, and a, and a lot of the people just say, this isn't worth it, I don't have any problem with these, fo- why, why, why am I going to risk my life for this? And the few that did take up in arms, there was a complete rout, and the Jews succeeded in destroying the enemies of God. This is a tremendous story of God protecting his people. What's really interesting about this book, you may, have, you may know this, it's only one of two books in the Bible that, that don't actually mention the name of God. The other is the Song of Solomon. But you can't help but reading the story and seeing God's fingerprints all the way through as he sovereignly protects his people. So there are just a couple of lessons that I'd like us to pull from this story as we think about God saving his people. The first of all the first of which is that God uses us in his work of salvation. God wants us to be a part of his plan of redemption. I'm not saying here that that Jesus' death was somehow insufficient But God calls us to be people who are involved in taking the gospel of Jesus' finished work out to the world around us. It's not just going to happen automatically. It doesn't just take place uh, uh, through billboards and uh, Facebook messages. But God wants us to be his hands and feet in getting the gospel out. If you go back to chapter 4, there are some, some interesting things about Esther's involvement in helping bring about salvation for her uh, her people. If you look at verse 10, it says, Esther spoke to Hathak, which was one of the eunuchs that was a messenger going back and forth between Mordecai and her. She couldn't talk to him face to face, and so uh, Hathak was, was uh, taking messages back and forth. Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called there is but one light one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live but as for me i've not been called to come into the king for 30 days some of you know this part of the story but in order to approach the king in the, in his his main area uh, around his throne you had to be if you were not summoned and you just walked in there, it could be instant death. I, I, the, the text doesn't tell us. I imagine that has to do with uh, you know assassination plots and that sort of thing. There were a number of them on, on his life. Uh, and so they had to protect him. So you couldn't just barge in. You had to be summoned. And if you walked in without being summoned, you could be put to death. And the only way that you were spared is if the king lifts up his scepter and gives you the okay. And that applied to the queen as well. She couldn't just barge in. It's not like some of the, the movies that you see with the king and the queen's throne together, and they're always sitting there together, uh, drinking coffee or you know, and you know, watching the jesters. It's, it, it was it was not like that. She had to be summoned into his presence, and she said, "I just want you to know here, Mordecai, that uh, I can't just walk in here and in there and chat with him. This is this is a great risk to my life if I were to to, to go in there and reveal this plot." I could die. He could do away with me, just like he got rid of Vashti in a flash. He could get rid of me too. He could kill me. This is this is not just a, a, a little simple thing. There was no promise to Esther that everything was going to be okay. You know, as you read about men and women in the Bible who take courageous steps for God, sometimes they're told that go forth and you will have great victory. Everything will be fine. I think about Joshua as he went into the land of Canaan. God says, do this and you'll rout the people. And they routed the people. But there are times in God's word when God asks them to step out in faith and there is no promise that everything is going to work out like a fairy tale ending. There's no promise that they're going to be safe. There's no promise that the people are going to respond. You know, sometimes God calls you and I to take risks for his kingdom, be willing to step out in faith, and there's not a promise that that it's going to be okay. There's not a promise that it's all going to work out like we want it to. Maybe she was thinking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who had lived some years Before her in that very land, they refused to bow before the king's idol. And the king was furious with them. And if you'll remember, he gave them another chance. And still they didn't bow. And he said, fine, stoke up the fires on my furnace, and I am going to burn you alive. And we'll see what your God does about that. And their response is some of the most powerful words of faith in anywhere in scripture. They said back to him, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, they they believed God would deliver them. They believed God could deliver them. But they didn't have a specific word from God that he would deliver them. And they decided to step forward boldly in faith, doing what they knew was right. And Esther was doing the exact same thing. She was willing to step forward in faith, willing to risk her life to save God's people. Hundreds of years later, Jesus Christ would do the same. He would step forward at great, at great risk. The only difference is that he knew the outcome. He knew he would die. But he gave his life so that he might bring spiritual salvation to God's people. Esther, Esther helped bring physical salvation. Jesus Christ brought spiritual salvation. As I read this part of the story, I'm reminded that not only does God call us to take risks sometimes for the gospel, but sometimes we need to be reminded of the cost of silence. Verse 13 says, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, so the messengers are going back and forth. He says, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, a relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Esther was at risk as well. If she didn't step up and do something, she was in danger of losing her life as well. You know, sometimes we, 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 we're moved by God. to Maybe it's to share the gospel. Maybe it's to speak up when we see someone involved in sin. But then we, we retreat back thinking, oh, I don't know what they'll think of me. I I don't, don't want to be... I don't want to be ridiculed. Maybe uh, maybe Maybe they'll. Maybe I won't say it just right. And so we retreat back. And I think Esther was feeling that temptation. Let somebody else handle it. I, I don't want to do this. But there's a cost to silence. And Mordecai reminded her that, that it could end up meaning her life if she didn't speak up. And finally, from that passage, I want you to see that this, probably the most well-known verse of this book, verse 14, Mordecai says to her, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Powerful words from her uncle. Because he recognized that God's sovereign hand was at work. And he's saying, are you telling me it's a coincidence, Esther? That a Jew was made queen of this foreign nation? That, that everything that has transpired from here on out are just mere coincidence? Oh no. No. The fact that you were brought in to the harem, the fact that you were selected to be queen, the fact that God has has given you favor in the king's eyes. He says, this is why you're here. Don't sit back and, and just let life unfold. God has placed you here for a purpose, for a reason. Right here, right now, God has called you to something. Maybe you're at a stage in your life and you think, I don't, I don't know what I'm what I'm here for. I don't know how God could use me, or maybe you're kind of like Esther and you're thinking, I don't know if I want God to use me. If this is what it means, but God has called you to be where you are right now for such a time as this. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom and 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 you're going out of your mind speaking gibberish all day, or or, or whether you're a retiree who just f- can't physically do the kinds of things that you want to do, and, and, and you're at home a lot, and you think, how can I be used by God now at this stage in my life? Or maybe you're somewhere in between. Maybe you're a teen or a, a child who just thinks, what can I do? Oh, how can I serve God? I want you to know that just like Esther, God has uniquely placed you in this place at this time in history to be used by Him, maybe it's influencing a friend for Christ. Maybe God's calling you into ministry, full time ministry, to be a, a missionary or to be a pastor or to serve in some other other capacity. Maybe God's placed you at your job because there is someone there who has never heard about Jesus Christ who needs to, or maybe there's someone there who is going through just. A, A severe period of depression or discouragement in their life and they need someone with a gift of encouragement to come alongside and be there I, i don't know what your gifts are and i don't know where god has placed you but i know that like esther god has some has you somewhere someplace right now for such a time as this god wants to use you and i as his ambassadors to take the gospel into all the world Romans ten fourteen and 15. The Apostle Paul asks some rhetorical questions and he says, How then will they call on Him and whom they have not heard? Or, and whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him and whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God has put you where you are for a purpose. Go to Him and And ask, God, what do you want me to do? How can I serve you? Secondly, I want you to see that God saves even when it seems impossible. God saves even when it seems impossible. Verse 14 says, Then his wife Zeresh, I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 5 now. (laughs) Um, uh, Chapter 5, verse 14 uh, says, Then his wife Zeresh, this is Haman's wife, and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. So this is the night before he ended up being executed. And he's, he's all ready to have Mordecai hanged the following morning. This, this is a situation where it's literally down to the wire. The last hours... And because the king just so happened to be reading in that place in the royal records and Mordecai's name just happened to come to mind and he just so happened to decide to call in Haman, one event led to another and Mordecai's life was spared. And because Mordecai was spared, the Jews were spared. This was literally a last-minute rescue. I just want to remind you, if there are people in your life that you think are beyond saving, that you think are lost causes, that they've just been too antagonistic, that they've been too long railing against Jesus Christ and the gospel, never forget that Jesus saves. He doesn't need our timetables. And he He is not bothered by how hard the heart is because he can break down the defenses, and he is powerful to save even those that we might think are beyond saving. Never doubt God's ability to save. And then finally, as we close, God's salvation is complete. God's salvation is complete. If you take some time, read this story all the way through. It's just 10 chapters. It won't take you long. But you'll notice that in the end, as God's people rout their enemies... There is no record of one Jewish person being killed. God protected his people. God fully came through and saved his people. When Jesus came and died on the cross, his work was thorough and complete as well. Just as all of God's people were saved at the time of Esther, Jesus' work on the cross accomplishes all that it intends. When Jesus hung there in John nineteen thirty, he said, It is finished. The work was complete. It was finished. He was accepted by God. Hebrews nine twelve tells us that Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of bo- uh, goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood and secured an eternal redemption. What Jesus did on the cross sealed the deal. The work was complete. and It brought salvation to all God's people, all those who would trust in him. I hope that as you uh, think about this passage this week, you're reminded about God's sovereign care of his people and about God's willingness to save, his love for his people, and his heart to bring those who don't know him to himself. What's God calling you to this week? What, what risk is he calling you to step out and take for the sake of Christ? Believe fully that what he has promised, he will do, and that he is powerful to save. Just like God saved his people, God is still in the business of saving people. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the reminder through Esther's courage and sacrifice of the importance of taking a stand even when it's dangerous, even when it's, it's costly. Most of us are not risking our lives to talk about Jesus, but maybe we're risking a reputation, maybe we're risking a friendship, uh, humiliation. Maybe we're risking some time, some, some of our finances. God, I pray that we would be willing to step out and encourage to do what you've asked. Thank you, Father, that that you're still in the business of saving people. And if there's someone here today who's who's not experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ and and entrusted in him, repented of their sins, and experienced a relationship with Christ, may today be that day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.